When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. This week, David Cameron, the British Prime Minister, finally set out his demands for a new relationship between Britain and the rest of the European Union. Next comes a tough negotiation and then a British referendum on EU membership. But could the whole process end with Britain actually leaving the EU? Joining me to discuss these issues is George Parker, our political editor in London and a former Brussels bureau chief. And on the line is our EU diplomatic correspondent, Alex Barker. George, first of all, these demands have been set out. What are they and how has he arrived at them? Well, they're no great surprises. These are ideas that have been floating around in various prime ministerial speeches and newspaper articles over the last couple of years. So there's four broad themes. The first one is about economic competitiveness, the idea of deregulation, EU concluding trade deals. This is kind of motherhood and apple pie for most people in Brussels. There's a governance question, and he's talking there about the need to protect the rights of countries that aren't in the Eurozone, such as the UK, against potential ganging up by members of the Eurozone to rig the rules of the single market. He wants some protections in there. He also wants to protect Britain's borders as he sees it, questions of migration, limiting people's access to welfare. And the fourth one is to do with ever closer union. He wants Britain to be permanently excluded from the EU's overarching mission of ever closer union. A clear explanation that this is a multi-currency union, not everyone's going to join the euro, and there will almost be an outer tier of countries that aren't in the eurozone which will be able to plough their own furrow. How quickly do you expect the process to move now? I think things are going to move quite quickly indeed. I mean, we know that Donald Tusk, the president of the European Council, is going to be sending officials around Europe over the next two weeks for what they call confessionals in the jargon. This is one-to-one meetings trying to work out what the bottom lines are of the other member states. And David Cameron, I think, has made a conscious decision to try and force the pace. I think he takes the view that he wants to get this out of the way as soon as possible. He's looking at the possibility of a deal on this at the December European Council in Brussels. If not that, maybe a few weeks later at a separate summit. So the pace is quickening and I think he envisages a deal if he can get one within the next few weeks. Just one more question on the British domestic reaction. I mean, it was very interesting that a lot of Cameron's party are now in open revolt, saying these are pathetic demands. We wanted much more back from Brussels. Yeah, it's been a fragile truce, hasn't it, for um, well, basically almost three years since David Cameron announced the plan for a referendum back in 2013 in a speech at Bloomberg. And the party's pieces held because at the end of the day they're going to be offered a vote on this but they're waiting to see what David Cameron wanted and this was the moment when they finally saw in black and white exactly what he wanted and it falls well short of the kind of things 
they've been talking about. They want, for example, a British veto on all European laws. Well, that's never going to be acceptable to other European member states. They want Britain to be able to strike its own trade deals with other countries. Again, completely off the table in Brussels. So David Cameron, whatever he said, was never going to meet up to the expectations of possibly 100 or so of his own parliamentary party. And certainly, I would say, at least half of the party membership out in the country. Alex, you're at the Brussels end of things. How have Cameron's demands or his letter to Tusk, how have they been received in Brussels? Reasonably well. There's always a bit of kind of puzzlement and bafflement from the European side about what Cameron wants, what's going on in the UK, whether this is merely a a kind of domestic issue that is being exported or whether he genuinely wants kind of substantial change that will encroach on their own national interests and domestic concerns. So there's certainly a will within the 27 to try and pull together package that will help him win a referendum, that will ensure that they don't have to deal with the pain of a Brexit, which all of them fear to a degree. But At the same time, particularly around the migration and benefits issues that Cameron has raised, the call for a ban on people being able to claim benefits in the UK for four years, that has always been a concern for them. It's legally extremely difficult. It's very sensitive for many of the Eastern European states in particular. And there was some dismay that this emerged again in the letter. They hoped that this was a good moment for him to climb down They didn't want to see it in the letter and they didn't really hear the kind of more nuanced concessions that Cameron was making to his domestic audience. So uh, that may filter through over coming days. Yeah, and George, I mean, it's been known for some time that this is a very sensitive issue, the whole question of welfare benefits for EU migrants. Do you think Cameron has an idea in his head of how this is all going to play out? Because otherwise, he's heading for a train wreck. No, I think... It'd be wrong to dignify his approach to this as some sort of strategy. It's nothing of the sort. Just before he floated the idea of banning migrants from claiming British benefits for four years, he was also floating the idea of having some sort of emergency break process where Britain could stop people from coming to Britain. That idea was shot down in flames by Angela Merkel, the German Chancellor, just days before he made the Bloomberg speech I was referring to earlier. So he had to come up with a policy on the hoof and he grasped on this one. And as Alex was just saying, it's legally incredibly difficult to pull off without breaching all sorts of European Union non-discrimination rules. So I'm not sure he has got a way out of this. You know, the best lawyers in Brussels are working on it. David Cameron saying, look, if anyone else can come up with a better idea to help Britain stem the flow of migrants, then he'll listen to it. But I think it's the one single issue which complicates the closing process of this negotiation. So, Alex, George said that Cameron is hoping to wrap this up in December or soon afterwards. Do you think that's realistic? Um... Possibly. I think technically they could probably do it unless there is a kind of um, unexpected objection from some member state or the details that the British provide over coming weeks are kind of more difficult than expected. But it could probably be done by December. The bigger question is whether the parallel political issues that are being dealt with by the EU will squeeze out the British question from the December agenda. So, you know, the migration issues are very big at the moment, particularly for Germany. That will be discussed in December. You've got the question of Russia and the rollover of sanctions. That's penciled in for December. And also a new Polish prime minister who will making her first appearance at a summit in December. Russia, migration and the British welfare issues are all quite sensitive for her domestically. I don't think they'll want to make her debut a moment of humiliation. So there may be some 
sequencing politically that might be necessary, so you, you might see the British issue pushed into February at a special summit. The call on that will probably be made in the next two or three weeks. But just briefly, Alex, do you think that there's a risk of just an impasse and an inability to agree, particularly on this issue that George and I were talking about, the four years ban on migrants claiming welfare benefits? How did they get around that? There absolutely is a risk of an impasse. You know, in the UK, it's been cast as very much, you know, is this all you're asking for? But the letter is quite general. And in the areas of benefits, because they've been a bit more specific about what they want, you've had a sense of the obstacles and how significant they are in the rest of Europe. That is the biggest danger. But also on some of the issues around ins and outs and emergency breaks and the other safeguards that Britain is looking for, as you work through the detail on that, you may find that countries like Belgium, like France, even Germany might be saying, hang on a minute, this is a bit more than we expected you to be asking for. And that too might become sensitive. And then you've got the unexpected factors, which are the response of countries to the opening of a negotiation like this. Will Eastern European countries say, well, you're talking about an emergency break for economic and financial issues. Why don't we apply this to migration issues as well? So we didn't particularly like being outvoted on migration quotas. We would quite like these kind of safeguards and protections as well. And if you see that kind of counterbid coming in and the expansion of this negotiation to a kind of bigger European question, then that will be very difficult for them to conclude promptly and in a timely manner. Okay, well, George, let's just assume for now that they do manage to get a package, and then we're looking at a referendum in the UK. How tight is it? I mean, how likely is it, do you think, that this is going to culminate with the Brits actually doing what everyone in Brussels can't believe they will do and voting to leave the EU? Well, I think the assumption has been, certainly through to this summer, that there was quite a comfortable majority in favour of Britain staying in the European Union. That might come as a surprise to some people listening to this outside the UK, where you read the British press and hear the British political debate and assume we're all Eurosceptics. But in fact, there's quite a solid base, and there has been for a while, for just the sort of general acceptance that Britain's generally better off. But if you strip away the people who are unlikely to vote, I was speaking to someone today who thought that actually things were more like 50-50. If you factor in things like the refugee crisis, which has turned some people against the European Union, the economic crisis has had the same effect. It's going to be close. I mean, my instinct has always been in the end that people tend in referendums to vote for the status quo. They don't like the unknown, the economic fear associated with a Brexit. But it's going to be close. It's going to be a tough thing. Alex was mentioning some of the extraneous factors which sometimes crowd in and could influence the debate over the next six months or whatever it is. So David Cameron knows he's got a fight on his hands. And do you think that actually migration and immigration will be central to the debate? Because, of course, that sets a very difficult backdrop for the people arguing for the UK to stay in because this whole question of control of borders, who comes into the country, is a very sensitive one right now. Yeah, it's the most emotional and some would say the most politically salient issue in the debate. However, there's one caveat to that, which is I think the decisive factor in this won't be migration at all. It will all boil down to economics, to people's jobs, people's sense of security. And there's another way of looking at this migration issue, which is if this becomes a referendum about immigration, you'll start to hear a lot more during the debate from Nigel Farage, the leader of UKIP, who's an incredibly divisive figure, someone who polarises opinion. And if people start to think, well, actually, this debate on the Brexit side is starting to sound a bit xenophobic, a bit sort of little Englander, that might drive people out of the, Mm. the exit camp. So I think in the end, it can play both ways, the question of migration. I think this will come down to economics. And Alex, of course... Economics isn't necessarily the EU's strong suit. I mean, I guess 
everybody's making this comparison with the referendum Britain had in the 1970s. But in the 1970s, Britain was in very bad economic shape. Europe was in pretty good economic shape. The kind of uh, roles are a little bit reversed right now. So how attractive do you think the EU is going to be looking as a proposition, let's say, if Britain votes in 12 to 18 months' time? That's quite a big prediction to make. Greece is still, you know, in a precarious position, to say the least. And what you saw over the summer when the Greek crisis was really hot, where the Eurozone really looked in dire straits, the sensitivity of the British public opinion to that was quite high. And by next summer, you know, the economic crisis for the moment seems to have abated. And the migration crisis is by far the biggest problem facing the bloc. But, you know, in terms of external shocks or internal problems or uh, uh, political developments in Portugal or Greece or any other countries really um, hit by the financial crisis, that could happen at any moment. And it will be certainly one of the kind of factors that will be playing into the question of when the referendum is called and what could tip the debate at the time. And George, just a last question, but it was interesting in Cameron's speech when he unveiled the letter that he introduced a new element, which is national security. Do you think that is an argument that weighs heavily with him and that might affect the electorate, the way the electorate views this? I think it does. And I think it was a really interesting moment in the debate. You know, most people think about Britain's national security being bound up with NATO. But for David Cameron to introduce the idea of national security in the context of the EU, I thought was a big statement. After all, the primary responsibility of all prime ministers is to sustain the security of the country. And if he's saying that Britain would be less able to influence events in the world, whether it's standing up to Russia and Ukraine or talking to Iran about its nuclear programme outside the EU, that's going to be harder. Then I think it's almost clear that he's made up his mind. And I thought with that, you could see David Cameron rehearsing the arguments he's going to be making during the referendum campaign. He's made the mental leap that he will be leading the in-campaign and the arguments he will be deploying will be very much about security, economic security, and then, as you say, this interesting new line on national security. Okay, well, it's going to keep us all busy for the next 18 months, but that's it for this week. So to George Parker here in the studio, thanks very much. Thanks also to Alex Barker on the line from Europe. That's it for this week. Until. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com. Next week, goodbye.